Welcome to History Reimagined, where history becomes fiction and fiction becomes history. You are listening to part two of the Deha series. My brothers and sisters of the stars, welcome. I hope this broadcast finds you well. It may surprise you to hear that Razia was kidnapped. Maurice pretended that it was beyond her control, but the young daughter of Fresno Colt West was simply moving her pieces into place. Her game of power was beginning. Listen on and find out what role Razia will have to play in this grand scheme. This is History Reimagined, and you are listening to Dalton Bates. On this podcast, we reimagine history through fiction. Join us as we explore the history of distant futures, of magical pasts, and the stories of those who have been forgotten to history. Sit back and enjoy a history lesson like no other. Our journalist Lerald was upset that Maurice had the gall to kidnap Razia. He proclaimed that she was the daughter of Electa Bori, succumbing to no one ran in her veins. Maurice should not have treated Razia like a pawn, but rather like the leader she was destined to become. Razia responded thusly, It is true that my mother was a courageous and strong leader, but Lerald, you are mistaken if you believe I possess any of her traits. I allowed Maurice to manipulate me. I wanted her to. I wanted to be taken in by her world of moral certainties. She sought to enlighten me, to help me understand this greater good she was fighting for. My mother would have seen through her deceptions, but to me, there was no deception. Only another narrative. Only another dream. I awoke in darkness. Slowly, my eyes adjusted to a distant glow, and I, I could just make out the smooth walls of my cell. I crawled towards the light over metallic floor, my bare knees and hands shivering against the sun-starved ground. And then my forehead struck a nothingness, an invisible wall keeping me safely inside. I pressed my hand up against it, feeling it gently quiver beneath my touch. Heavy footsteps resounded as they neared from the direction of the glow. As they drew closer, I held my breath. Fear devoured my thoughts until there was only silence. And then a burly man standing before me. He walked right through the invisible wall, dragging me back further into the cell. His diction was disarmingly urbane as he directed me to stand. I did so, at which point I was looking into his eyes. In the dim light, for a brief moment, 
I studied his well-bred features, as though once his pedigree had belonged to a noble household. But now, he was doing their dirty work. He allowed himself a thin smile. There was hatred in those eyes. He didn't see me as a human. Under his gaze, I was nothing more than a piece of flesh. His demeanor became cruel. He told me to remove my clothes, without looking at me, as though my body repulsed him. I was only hesitant for a moment. Somehow, the inevitability of it all made it easier to loosen the gown from my shoulders and let it fall down around me. The man told me to stand against the back wall. As I did so, he grabbed my left hand, lifting it over my head and slamming it into the metal wall. Upon contact, I felt a cold band wrap itself around my wrist. He repeated from my right. With a one-word command, the cell was flooded by blinding white light. I had to close my eyes only to open them again to see a surgical knife in his grip. Before I could cry out for help, a gloved hand was pressed over my mouth. Through his fingers, I managed to ask what he was doing to me. He answered. Under normal circumstances, this operation is straightforward, he began. But he placed the knife between my breasts. You are anything but normal, Razia. He sliced into my torso in one downward stroke. I watched in horror as blood pooled from the wound, running like a river down my naked body. But it was moments later when true terror invaded my consciousness as my skin twisted and coiled like a restless ocean, as insect-like forms rushed beneath the surface. Like a tidal wave, they crashed together, stitching my skin before my eyes. Until there was no wound. What happened next I can only recall in fragmented moments. Unimaginable pain cast great shadows over my world, but all throughout I could feel every incision, hear every bone crack. The man used his tools to open my chest. It took all his might to hold my ribcage ajar as my body attempted to repair itself. I recall looking down at the large chunks of scar tissue and flesh at my feet. Sickness overwhelmed me but I could only shed tears. The man removed a fist-sized device from its case. He shoved his hand into my body with sadistic violence. I felt the cold metal device inside of me. It attached itself to my heart, and he removed his hand. Stepping back as though to examine his work, he gestured for the metal straps to release, Then I came crashing down. I crumpled into an entanglement of limbs, lying in a pool of deep red. Tears ran down my blood-soaked skin. I remember his words. They were the last thing I wanted to hear. Stop sobbing. It takes more than that to harm a crawled. I was floating in it. I lifted my head above the surface. With eyes wide open, I gazed out into the rolling clouds of steam. I was bathing in a large pool, so large there was no edge in sight. I could have been in an ocean, a perfectly temperatured, perfectly cleaned ocean. <laughs> 
with a polished, tiled floor. I found myself looking down through the clear water to see the unnatural, twisted flesh knotted across my chest. It ran in thick lines like worms beneath my skin. I lifted my hand to it. It felt taut and rough. And then I remembered his words. It takes more than that to harm a crawled. I was... crawled? It was as though one day you realized that your body was not your own, as though all your life it belonged to someone else. Suddenly, in this naked form, I, I felt alien, unnatural, unhuman. I was filled with disgust. Even without memories from my former life, I knew the story of the crawl. The crawl was originally a biological weapon used during the Neronian Revolution. It was developed by Bioflinolim to mutate men into thoughtless monsters. Once infected by the virus, one's body would grow without limitation or structure, and to feed this transformation, one craved flesh, sending one into a violent frenzy. The first planet-wide outbreak of the virus occurred on Kima, Nero's capital. The official narrative of the Empire is that Nero had ordered the mass production of the crawl biological weapon, and there was a terrible accident. From the ashes of Kima rose humanoid crawl, their minds fully intact, the crawled as they came to be known. It is theorized that in rare cases, humans of excellent breeding and pure intellect, once infected, can control the virus, instead of being consumed by it. These rare cases became crawled. It is said that in the process of bending the virus to their will, they lost their humanity. But I was crawled. I am crawled. All of a sudden, my thoughts slipped away. A figure drifted through the water, moving closer to me. As the steam thinned around her, I could make out her face. It was Maurice. Before I could think, she embraced me. She held me tight and whispered apologies into my ear. She told me that this universe was a cruel place, but I was safe with her now. She kept saying, I was only protecting you from yourself. Eventually, I forced myself to ask, what is inside of me? Marie stepped back, and after a while, she spoke. The true luminaries of history are not those who stand in the spotlight and garner all the fame and glory, but rather those who make the tough decisions that are required in the moment. They may compromise all principles and beliefs, but if they are not willing to make that sacrifice, no one will. Your mother understood this. When you hear her story, you will as well. The Army of Peace was true to its name. It brought peace to the civilization of humankind. No doubt there were conflicts on isolated worlds, but the galaxy was at peace. However, on Majaka, the home of Electa Abori, public sentiment had turned against the AP. With leadership of Visay Ri, an ambitious and uneducated rustic, a populist coup forced the Majaka government into resignation. The new government formally nullified their commitment to the SPC Accords. This was cause for great concern. Back on Arbos, there was much agreement about the threat this Visay re-posed. She was unpredictable at best, destructive at worst. Not recognizing the Accords, the Re government expelled any AP presence on Majaka and banned the entry of anyone wearing a blue and gold uniform. 
Electa convinced AP seniority to send her instead of an army. She said she would persuade Visay to re-sign the accords, and there would be no need for bloodshed. Electa had not seen her homeworld in over two decades. She wondered what had become of the Mong metropolis. She wondered whether the jungles of the Zhang still thrived. She wondered about the fate of her parents in Kong. However, she feared that she would return a foreigner. Would they treat her as an off-worlder? Would they only see the AP uniform? To distract herself from these questions, Electa talked freely with the AP lieutenant who accompanied her venture. He was none other than Bioflan Alim. While young, his rank evidenced his natural intelligence and work ethic. One day, he could have become a general for sure. It makes little sense why he did what he did. Even so, for the time being, he was a loyal soldier, and for Electa, one with captivating stories to tell. When only a child, his world was attacked by Nepal's hordes. Both his parents were killed desperately trying to defend their home, but all in vain. Their sacrifice could not keep their son from Napoleon indoctrination. In time, his world was liberated by the Enterprise for Planetary Defense. To his further misfortune, he was caught in bombardment, only narrowly escaping with his life. In a critical condition, Bioflin was saved by a passing EPD medical transport that was scanning for survivors. It would have taken a trip across the galaxy to hear all Bioflin's stories, and their envoy had landed on Majaka. Visay Ree temporarily suspended her policy of no AP uniforms to meet with Electa Abori. Their convergence was reportedly brief. Afterwards, Electa described the young woman thusly. She is proud, but not vain. She knows what it means to have nothing and be no one. Consequently, she does not hold her power idly. It is not about her name, nor her legacy. This power in her hands is there only by virtue of her people, and she sees herself as their guide to a better future. She will never shirk that duty, and that makes her far more dangerous than any Ispo. After a week of failing negotiations, Electa decided to return to her old home for a time. The desert continent of Kong was undergoing much transformation with vast infrastructure projects. However, with such change, there was equal disturbance. People were moved from their ancestral lands, and for those who could not afford the new cities, there was but the slums of the permanently displaced. Electa even put Bioflun and his soldiers to work, searching for her parents. But they were not found. She could not help but see the irony through her tears. She was part of a bureaucracy that managed the entirety of human civilization, and yet she was helpless when two people disappeared. Electra returned to the capital a changed person. She planned to offer Visay an ultimatum. Either the accords were signed or the AP would march in force to establish a new government on Majaka. And she did this, knowing that Visay would refuse and war would come to her homeworld. Bufflin proposed an alternative. Assassinate Visay Ri and in an ensuing political turmoil, the AP could seize control without bloodshed. Electra disapproved, but Visay Ri blocked the path to peace and order. She had to be removed. Electa requested an AP fleet, and her request was approved. It was to give no appearance of preparing for a planetary invasion, nor suggestion of its route to Majaka. Electa continued her negotiations with Visay as though nothing had changed. But things had changed. Bufflin had his order. Electa knew not the details of the plan to protect her if anything went awry. The assassination took place during one of Visay Ree's public declarations. 
Bufflin had turned a number of parliamentary members against the governess. He convinced them that an AP crackdown would surely come sooner or later, and it would catch them all in its net if they did not reconsider their allegiances. With the members' influence, complicit guards were placed at the checkpoint which Bufflin's assassin would move through. Inside the Grand Central Precinct, Rees' guards were preoccupied controlling the massing crowds and didn't have the training to notice an undercover soldier. Once within the mostly abandoned inner corridors, the soldier made her way up to the top of the precinct walls. From there, she had a clear shot down to the balcony, where Vassay would deliver her speech. While the governess's protective shield saved her from the explosive impact of the bullet, the balcony beneath her feet was not so fortunate. It collapsed, and Vassay Ree fell to her death. In the aftermath of the assassination, Vassay's inner circle of advisors and loyalists assumed control, disbanding the parliament. But they were not Vassay Ree. Without her leadership and charisma, they could not quell the fear of their people. Many accused the inner circle of assassinating Vesayri so that they could seize power for themselves. For those who did not suspect the new council, the obvious mastermind behind the plot was Elekta Bori. The AP soldiers under Elekta's supervision were taken in for questioning. They were never seen again. Beuflin, however, was nowhere to be found. Elekta was placed on public trial. It was all so chaotic and rushed, the prosecutors failed to convince the masses that Electa was indeed involved in the assassination. Many still saw her as the Electa Bori who united humankind against Nepal's tyranny. It was easier for them to condemn this mysterious Bioflin Alim. With the public convinced that Bioflin had acted out on his own whim, it was impossible for the government to blame Electa for the dysfunction. And the conspiracy remained that those in power had employed Bioflin in order to keep their own hands clean. It was at this time that the AP fleet arrived in orbit. Electa, now in the public eye, positioned herself as one of them. She no longer wore the AP uniform, and she made full use of the people's short memories. She promised she would negotiate with the Army of Peace, and ensure that Majaka did not lose her freedom. The government had little choice but to acquiesce to the wishes of its people, and allow Electa to represent them. Garbed in traditional Kong attire, Electa Abori boarded the AP flagship. None other than General Fresno Colt West awaited her. He had requested to aid Electa in this mission. He wanted to help her bring peace and order to Majaka, but he was also aware of her sentimentality towards her home world. Seeing her in a desert-colored robe instead of her uniform, Fresno found himself questioning where her loyalty lied. Electa explained the situation, but Fresno was not swayed by her diplomatic approach. Electa returned to the surface with a regiment of AP soldiers. She informed the government that she was there to negotiate a treaty, and the soldiers were considered necessary for her protection. As only weeks prior, she had been up for public execution. The deception didn't need to last long. Once landed within the capital, Fresno commanded his soldiers to neutralize all enemy forces until they were in control. No more than three hours later, all channels were broadcasting the same statement. Majaka is officially under the authority of the Army of Peace. What right did he have? Those words carried a ferocity that I didn't, perhaps couldn't feel inside. It was little more than a gut response. Marie slipped her hand into mine. She held such power over me. Not the power of brutality and violence, but the power of totality. She was becoming my world. She finally spoke. I wish we could all agree on virtues and sins. 
I wish I lived in a universe where no man could violate my body, nor woman violate my mind. But such a universe does not and will never exist. Because there is always disagreement. And where there is disagreement, there is conflict. And where there is conflict, there is chaos. She looked at me for a long while. Razia, you are crawled, the embodiment of chaos. Your kind almost dragged us all down into the depths of the depravity. If we spent our time quibbling over what is right and wrong, they would have succeeded. My father had no right. What is right? What is wrong? It just doesn't matter. All we must do is hold back the chaos. We must hold up the pillars of civilization, ensure that they are not corrupted, and then, maybe, there will be peace. That is all I want. That is all your mother ever wanted. She betrayed her home. She betrayed her people. And yet, so what? She did the right thing. Tell me. Tell me, Razia. Would you do the same? I found myself saying, yes. I felt what Maurice felt. She knew the world and she knew how it should be. There was no doubt. No moral uncertainty. For that moment, I believed the world was a black and white place. And it was a comforting thought. Electa Abori once again donned the blue and gold uniform of the Army of Peace. Several months had passed since the dismissal of Rhee's government and the AP seizure of the Hmong capital. Small rebellions had broken out, but all had been subdued with relative ease. Visay Rhee's revolutionary army was disbanded, many soldiers finding themselves in AP training, many more vanishing into the jungles of Jong or the deserts of Kong. However, they were a problem for another time. For as no cult west tasked Electa with establishing a transitional government for Mashaka. Perhaps, in another timeline, Electa would have continued Visay's legacy as a populist leader, leading a second revolution, governing with the whim of the people. However, she knew such a project was doomed to fail. Electa could not give the people what they wanted, so she gave them what they needed. She resurrected a ruling class from a bygone age, the nobility. The noble families had survived Visayri's purges of the old regime, but they were broken, fractured, and engaged in bitter internal rivalries. However, in spite of all that, to a greater or lesser extent they supported the army of peace and what it was trying to accomplish, while the common man still hung to Visay's lies. Historians would not remember Electa's aristocratic government as a proponent of high ideals or a reservoir of popular legitimacy, but history is made up of more than righteous heroes and their heroic exploits. There are jobs that entail no glory, that will garner no praise, but are just as important, if not more. Electa Abori understood this. Her transitional government had to remain stable while Fresno carried out his essential reforms. A new age was being ushered in. Maybe she would be hated for it. Maybe she would be remembered unkindly. But she would change history. Would you like to change history? 
Vasya? The question hung in the air. It felt so out of place as though it had been forced into somewhere it didn't belong. But that did not stop it from captivating my mind. I had been so fixated on the past, on discovering what happened so many years ago. And in doing so, the future had become unimportant. The future fitted into the equation of time as a simple continuation, not as something that could be shaped, shaped by my actions. Who was I to change history? Before returning to Arbos, I had been a lost soul without a name in a galaxy ruled by an exalted empress. But now? Now I was the daughter of Electa Bori. She had been a nobody when a godlike man transversed the heavens, commanding unimaginable armies, and yet she still managed to shape the course of history. In that moment, I opened my eyes and I was no longer living in the past. I moved my hand through the water and watched the ripples circle outward, as though my actions had meaning, had consequence. The future became a stream of endless choices to make, choices that would decide tomorrow, and the day after that, and the year after that. Marie started to move, beckoning for me to follow. Trailing behind her, she told me that I could change history. She said that Sindel was destroying civilization from within, and only I could stop her. I moved my lips, trying to form my swirling thoughts into words. What could I possibly do? Maurice ascended the steps out from the pool. She reached back, extending her hand. I accepted as I made the climb, but once I was out, she wouldn't let go. Razia, listen to my words. There is something closed around your heart. It holds your life. Your life is in my hands. I don't want to snuff it out, but you must do as I say. In two days' time, the Empress will celebrate the anniversary of her empire with a public appearance. You must be standing beside her when that moment comes. Razia, this is your chance to change history. You have been listening to the History Reimagined Podcast. Dejas will be back in two weeks' time with Part 3. Now that you have some time on your hands, what's stopping you from spreading the word of this new fictional history podcast? This is your chance to change history. If you would like to support the podcast, we are selling t-shirts with art exclusively for the Dejas series. They can be found at Spreadshirt.com slash user slash History Reimagined or by searching Dejas on the Spreadshirt website. We also have a Twitter account at ReimaginedPod. Over there we will post updates and more. You can tweet at us with questions and feedback. We will respond. That's a promise. History Reimagined is narrated by Dalton Bates and written by Levi Hirsch. The intro song is On and On by Charlotte O.C. Our theme music is Naive by Sergei Kirmiznov. Until next time, my fair listener. Wasted, wasted,